We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I promise this is an invention story. But which came first? The chicken or the chicken? Okay, somewhere in Southeast Asia, around 10,000 years ago, is one of humanity's great innovators. Picture the scene. They've got a red jungle fowl pinned under each arm. You're coming with me, they tell the surprised birds, and they walk out of the forest. Cut to somewhere in America, 1948, the descendants of that red jungle fowl bird and that ancient innovator are on a stage. <laughs> they are the winners of the very first ever Chicken of Tomorrow competition, which is a bit like X Factor, but chickens. A cheer breaks out. Well done us, the innovator says to the bird before filleting it, dipping the meat in egg wash flour and panko breadcrumbs, deep frying it and topping it with hash browns, cheese and fiery salsa. And lo, the Zinger Burger was born. Hello, I'm Dallas Campbell. Welcome to Patented. It's a podcast about the history of inventions from History Hit. Today we are talking about the invention of, not the chicken zinger burger, but the invention of its component part, the chicken. Can you invent a chicken? What do we even mean by a chicken? Well, it's a delicacy in the right hands. It's a much maligned staple of the cheap fast food industry. The humble bird has voyaged with us from the time of the dinosaurs to the jungles of East Asia to the chicken shops of your local high street. And of course, they've been used as symbols of virility, for sport, for food, as well as tedious jokes. And importantly for us, we as a species have changed the chicken almost beyond recognition. My guest today is Sally Coulthard, author of many wonderful books, but her latest is Foul Play, A History of of the chicken from dinosaurs to dinner plates. We discuss the burning question, who invented the chicken?
got your book in front of me, which is lovely, by the way, Foul Play. And actually, can I just say, thank you very much for writing your name in it and putting a little card in it. Nobody does that anymore. You know, normally oh, what happens is the books get, you know, they just arrive from the publisher. But this one actually has got, it's been signed and it had a nice car. And I felt very, book chivalry is not dead. Book chivalry, well, I'm very old school about certain things. I really like mm. handwritten notes and, and that kind of things. But it does mean you can't give it away for Christmas to somebody else. <laughs> clever, clever. You, and also, you. you've written hundreds of books. But this is, uh, I, I tell you, I'm really, can I just say, I'm really enjoying this book because... This is not a podcast about chickens or the good life. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a podcast about inventions, really. But what I like about the chicken story is I, that, that I've realised reading your book is that it's one of those stories that touches on lots of different interesting things. It's history, it's science, it's anthropology, because actually what the story does, it tells you all about the human brain and how human beings work. It's cultural in that it touches on language and, you know, my favourite thing, it doesn't quite... Oh, it touches on space travel as well. I just got to the bit about yes, space right travel. Yes, right at the end with the zinger burner yes. in space. Yes. I, did a, I wrote a chapter of a book about space travel and I, and I did a bit, bit on animals in space and I forgot to mention chickens. I went anyway. first... For, I know it was, the, it was a quail that was the first uh, animal born in space, wasn't it? But that's a, diff- that's a whole different podcast. But just before we start on the invention of the chicken, mm. <laughs> which you will do, um, are you a Herzog fan? Uh, I feel that should be ringing some bells. But Werner, Her- Werner Herzog, very famous German filmmaker. He was obsessed by chickens. And oh, really? Chicken, yeah, yeah. Chickens are a kind of recurring theme in, in lots, of his, lots of his films, three or four of his films. He's obsessed by them in the sense that they kind of, for him, represent the, the kind of absurdity of life. He thinks they're so stupid, chickens. You look into their eyes and you are looking into the void of stupidity. <laughs> there is no, <gasps> you know, in my heart. So oh, shame on him. He couldn't be more wrong. Well, this is what I wanted to talk to you about. Anyway, the enigma of Caspar Hauser, there's a scene where he draws a line in chalk on the ground and the chicken is hypnotised by the chalk line. And I looked into that and apparently you can hypnotise chickens by doing that. There's... Um, Nietzsche, the philosopher, also talks about hypnotising chickens, as does Iggy Pop in the song Lust for Life. I, I feel like people chickens. have too much time on their hands, maybe, to be taken. Well, I, the trouble is when I was reading your book, I went down this massive chicken rabbit hole. Can I bring it back to Chicken Run? That's kind of probably more my, <laughs> yeah, <probably>. my level. <laughs> There's lots of chickens in movies, actually. I was thinking about this. Apart from Herzog, that's my personal obsession. But yeah, Chicken yeah, Run. They're, they're, I think they're a symbol of something else, aren't they? They're, they're often kind of comedic or... They are. Or, yeah. There's a bit in your book I liked as well about fighting, about cockfighting. And, and when I was a kid, my dad, he lives in the countryside, we had a, a cockerel and we called it Dangerous because it was absolutely vicious. Crikey, they're vicious. Yeah, they can be. It sort of depends on which breed you get and how, what kind of sort of circumstances they're brought in. We have a, we, we hand-reared a cockerel here, and he's delish. He's just, you can cuddle him and nice. hug him, and, yeah, he's just amazing, so... Sorry, listeners, I'm digressing with all this stuff of chicken meat. But th- this is the problem with it. Chickens open all kinds of doors of interesting things and they have all kinds of interesting meanings. OK, so where do we start talking about chickens? I suppose your opening fact gambit is that mm. the Tyrannosaurus rex is essentially a chicken, kind of. More or less. So I suppose the best way to kind of start this off is, is almost the kind of the whole premise for the book, really, and, and why I started writing it, because it's quite an odd topic to write about. You know, I'm not particularly passionate about chickens to the exclusion of all other animals. I'm a, you know, I like all animals and I look after lots of different kinds of animals here on the farm. And But I read a, a research paper maybe three or four years ago and it just caught my attention because you don't 
hear about these stories in newspapers, but it was a, a research paper where some scientists in America at the University of Chicago decided to see if what would happen if they attached tails to chickens. They were like toilet plungers, and they attached them to the backs of a chick to start off with, and as the chick grew older, it got a bigger and bigger tail. And what they were really trying to establish was whether carrying a weight on the behind of a bird made it walk in a different way. And when they did this, they saw a bird transform, it was a chicken, transforming the way it walked from being the kind of tiptoey walk that chickens do that you would see, you know, scratching around in the farmyard to a kind of a sort of swagger like a cowboy and the centre of gravity change and all this kind of thing. Essentially, they had revealed the walk of a dinosaur. And I'm thinking, why would the chicken be their research subject? Why would they have thought that the chicken would be the best? If you wanted to work out how dinosaurs walked, why would you use a chicken? Of all the kind of creatures you could chew from, why not use a, a crocodile or something like that? A bit more obvious. So that got me researching. And I was amazed by the amount of kind of experiments and academic research that had been done that essentially chickens are the closest living relative that we have to dinosaurs, and in particular one group of dinosaurs who are called the theropods. And within that group of dinosaurs are the scariest of the of the dinosaurs that existed, so the T-Rex and the nice. Velociraptor. The ones, yeah, the proper ones. Yeah, the ones that you were really scared of as a child. That's really interesting. Dear listeners, you may be interested to know that you can actually, on YouTube, there is a video of the experiments where they put the sink plungers on the chicken's bottoms. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yeah, well, of course you've it's seen amazing. it. And it's amazing. It is amazing. They look, honestly, it's like they change, it's just like a different animal. I mean, they don't sort of roar. I can't, I wanted them to roar, but they don't roar. But they do walk very differently. Everything about them, their posture changes. I mean, mm. obviously, you know, they're carrying a weight behind, but it, it is extraordinary. Gosh, listen, I, I suddenly realise your book is so rich and so full of interesting stuff. We could spend the rest of our lives talking about chickens. We've got the origins. How do we get from that to walking into co-op and buying four chicken breasts for three quid? Because there's that's some, twelve chapters. I know. This is the thing. I guess my question is like, how did we invent the chicken? I'm putting in invent in big inverted commas. And you know, I mean, obviously, no one invented. Well, maybe someone did invent the chicken, well, Mr. Kentucky. It's a kind of human a human construct because yeah well that's yeah we've changed them presumably from being t-rexes to being domesticated and becoming this yeah. cheap food product so humans didn't really do anything involved in the early part of the chicken evolving basically the chicken ancestor is a bird called the red jungle fowl that that lives in the the exotic southeast asian countryside it's you know it's a tropical bird it's got glorious plumage but it does essentially look a bit like a kind of glamorous chicken. And so that's the point at which humans and chickens first bump into each other. They've pinned down the time of domestication to a really wide time period. It's between about 12,000 years and 6,000 years ago. And usually with this topic, which is basically the domestication of animals, it usually happens with the beginnings of agriculture in an area. Because the idea is that people start farming and they start taming animals and the whole thing you have to have a settled life to bother kind of looking after animals that doesn't fit the picture for for chickens so we can tell from the genetic records and the archaeological records that chickens and humans started to live together about 12,000 years ago between 12 and 6,000 years ago but farming doesn't start in that region 
for another 2,000 years after there. So what's happening? Why are we bothering even looking after chickens when we're yeah, not exactly. eating eggs. them or we're not using the eggs? Well, wild jungle fowl don't really lay that many eggs. You know, you might get 12 a year from a wild jungle fowl. So that wouldn't have been the initial reason that That's we kept them. one big celebratory omelette. <laughs> You'd have had one omelette. Actually, we're going to exactly. do, do a podcast episode on the invention of the egg, but we're not sure which one to put on first, whether we do the chicken one first or the egg oh. Sorry. <laughs> That was really poor. That was a low quality joke. Sorry. So farming's invented. So we invent farming. So yeah, but but, but they're not. So, are they used for meat straight away, or what's the deal? No, they're not. And that's what's initially was a bit of a mystery. More recent research suggests that jungle fowl were probably being kept for pets to start off with by hunter gatherer communities who would have enjoyed keeping chicks and raising chicks because chicks are precocial so they'll imprint on humans if you raise them from being chicks probably because they were brightly coloured and they made good pets and that kind of thing but one of the sort of strange side effects of keeping chickens as pets or keeping wild jungle fowl as pets is that as time went on it seemed to create a very docile female chicken but the male chickens were really aggressive. But rather than that being a problem, human communities decided actually cockfighting was probably going to be a sport that they wanted to get. So cockfighting comes before eating chickens and having. So sport, sport comes first. So we don't, we didn't invent. Sport comes first. Chickens to eat. We invented them for games. Exactly. And that super aggressiveness comes in part as a result of us keeping them, choosing animals based on kind of levels of tameness it's a strange kind of genetic quirk that often when humans domesticate a species it creates a raft of sort of ancillary traits so you might choose a species that the females are really tame but the end result is that the males become really aggressive and that seems to be what happens with chickens there's lots of early cultures from the indus valley and lots of the kind of southeast asian cultures uh, evidence of the cockerel being a really impressive sacred bird and and that they're kept for for cockfighting because it was a a sort of sign of prowess and bravado i'm going to jump from cockfighting again because there's so much there's so much i want to try and get into this episode but i want to sort of jump to the point where suddenly chickens are laying more eggs suddenly they're domesticated for food particularly Mm. when when does that happen and, and why does that happen and how does that happen are we in roman times are we in beyond roman times so the Romans were particularly good at lots of different things. And, and that's the first evidence that we have that people are keeping chickens, they're farming chickens in the kind of way that we would understand today. When we started using them for food, they wouldn't have been two for a fiver in co-op in Rome. Would they have been a prime quality type of meat? All the evidence suggests that really for, for most of history, right up until early 20th century, you would only ever really eat a chicken when it, would, when it had exhausted every other function. Eating chicken meat was A, very rare, and if you did, you'd either be eating spent hens, who were basically exhausted girls who couldn't lay anymore, or they were cockerels. You couldn't have too many cockerels in a flock. You find when you look through historic recipes that most of them involve cooking chickens for a long time. There's a brilliant recipe from the 17th century called A Tough Old Fowl Exploded. I don't know why. What is it? I, I, I don't know What's why. it called? 
It's called a tough old fowl exploded. Nice. And I think the idea is that you put the bird in the in a pan and you had to kind of cook it for something like 12 hours before it became palatable and, and the kind of meat fell apart. But, but essentially, and that's what kokaliki was and, and all these dishes that, that basically, for the general populace, you didn't really eat chicken because... It was tough and there were other things that we did better at that time. So pork and beef and lamb. I just want to quickly, in parenthesis, just ask you, just while we're at this point, so many chicken references have entered the language. And I think of things like walking on eggshells. And you, you, there's a whole load in your book, which are, which are great. Give us a few. And why did the sort of chicken metaphor kind of arrive, like henpecked and, and these sorts of... It has a very special place in our in our language, the it, chicken, I it feel. It does, it does. And humans are really good at using everyday prosaic items, bringing them into kind of metaphors. So the chicken would have been would have been an easy metaphor because people would have seen it as a domestic animal. It would have been on farms and in marketplaces and that kind of stuff. But beyond that, cockerels have been a metaphor for male kind of sexuality and male aggression since the Greeks, since the ancient ancient Greeks who used the cockerel, I should say, as a, as a metaphor and also an ideal to aspire mm-hmm. to because especially for a culture based around violence and martial supremacy and all those kind of things, the cockerel is literally the ideal animal because it wins at all costs and it doesn't just win, it defeats its enemy fully and will kill it. And, and, like and so the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Exactly, the Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex of the bird. I talk a lot about the word cock in the book because you can, you can take the girl out of Leeds, but there we go. It's a word that starts to kind of take on its slightly kind of slang, rude meaning, probably in the sort of 14th century. Medieval literature is brilliant for kind of double entendres. They, they loved a kind of fruity metaphor. And so there's lots of instances of that, which is ironic because cockles don't have penises. So it's the kind of world's biggest irony that basically we call people cocks when the cockerel doesn't have one, or at least it's all its genitalia on the ins- are on the inside. When the Puritans went to America, they were so horrified by the word cock that they effectively banned it. So this is why now in America, cockerels aren't called cockerels, they're called roosters. They don't talk about haycocks, they talk about haystacks. You don't get weather cocks, you get weather veins. But they basically thought it was far too vulgar. There's a sort of cultural split there where the English carried on using the word cock, but the Americans, it was just too much for them. Hi there, I'm Don Wildman, the host of the brand new podcast, American History Hit. Join me twice a week as I explore the past to help us understand the United States today. You'll hear how Codebreakers uncovered secret Japanese plans for the Battle of Midway. Visit Chief Poetin as he prepares for war with the British. See Walt Disney accuse his former colleagues of being communists. And uncover the hidden history that lies beneath Central Park. From pre-colonial America to independence, slavery to civil rights, the gold rush to the space race, I'll be speaking to leading experts to delve into America's past. New episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. So join me on American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. 
Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Right then, so we've got dinosaurs, we've got fighting, all this kind of stuff. Who invented the chicken, please, Sally? I mean, where do we get from that to Kentucky Fried Chicken? Like, like do we go via eggs? Do we go via sort of... Because I know there's James Dryden is a name that pops up when we think about 20th century yeah. egg supercharging. But is that a good place or...? I think so. So the story of the kind of modern chicken doesn't get going until the beginning of the 20th century. And there'd been... In the sort of latter years of the 19th century, the Victorians had got very good at breeding chickens and breeding different varieties of chickens because they were fascinated by the idea of improving animals and improving domestic creatures to be the best that they could be. And, and also just for the sheer hell of it, you know, trying to get as many varieties as possible. The end result of that was that by the beginning of the 20th century, people were starting to think about whether they could improve the chicken to be beyond something that was essentially just a kind of scrawny pheasant-like bird that didn't produce many eggs and wasn't that tasty. Because especially as we kind of went into wartime, you know, we had two world wars in a row and issues such as sort of food security and improving productivity and all those kind of things started to become really important. So two things happened. Firstly, eggs As you rightly mentioned, there was a chap called Professor James Dryden who in 1913 put his best chickens to the test. And prior to his experiments that were just before the First World War, really, you'd have been lucky if you got 70 eggs out of a chicken per year. I'm surprised, but given that eggs are so ubiquitous in cooking for everything, I'm trying to imagine a world without cheap or, you know, cheapish eggs. Exactly. And really, eggs would have been a treat. The more I write about kind of food history, the more I realise that that really protein, particularly whether it comes in the form of eggs or meat, was a treat. You know, we eat a lot more protein than we ever did. So Dryden was convinced that he could wring more than 
five dozen eggs out of a chicken. So he practiced with lots of different chickens, putting different breeds together. And in the end, he got this kind of amazing bird who was half a leghorn and half a Plymouth rock and he named her Lady Macbeth. And she fired out in one year, 303 eggs. And it was like... Nice. <laughs> nice work. Are we allowed to say the kind of modern chick that James Dryden, the adventure of the modern chicken and the chicken was called Lady Macbeth? Well, he was the first to really change the game and make it look commercial and so suddenly people thought aha 303 eggs a year stands is a business whereas 70 eggs a year isn't a business sadly on the back of that people realized things like if you wanted to get chickens to lay all year round don't leave them in natural conditions you have to put them in unnatural conditions so was that are we starting to see the beginnings of battery cage chickens as a sort of factory factory kind of product brilliant exactly and i mean battery cages come a little bit later maybe sort of after the second world war but essentially people's handy to have to control that amount of if you wanted to raise birds in a commercial way you have to control them, or that's what the idea was. And that meant keeping them indoors. But when you when you keep chickens indoors, they get rickets because they've got, they've got no vitamin D. And they also start to kill each other because birds can't naturally be that confined. Chickens start to be fed vitamin D. They started to be fed antibiotics slightly later on. And things like UV light, people started to understand the effect that keeping chickens in artificially lit barns makes a difference so really the first half of the 20th century it's you've gone from not really being in a chicken industry to being a serious indoor chicken industry for eggs that's that's just for eggs there. so how does that sort of morph into so first of all what is a broiler chicken yeah so you think that broiler was related to boiling which is not it's to broil is to to to, to heat something on a direct heat source that's another kind of language thing it's always fascinated me because the americans say broil which basically means grill. We use the French word to grill, and they use the old English word, which is broil, which means exactly, bake exactly, or which grill. is another thing that's kind of was probably went across in the 1700s, and then we don't use anymore. So eggs proved a success, and people started to make money from eggs. And then after the Second World War, and we're talking about food security again, this had an American focus, not a British focus, to start off with. People had realised that chickens could potentially be a good source of meat partly because it was the only food that wasn't rationed um, for Americans in the Second World War, but also a lot of the troops were kept going on chicken that was raised in the kind of early industrial chicken farms in, in America. But it hadn't really taken off. And the problem was, essentially, the chicken that they were trying to farm commercially for meat was not very good. It was only the size of a pheasant, so it wasn't going to feed that many people, and it was really expensive. So it would have probably cost you the equivalent of 20 quid today. And so it wasn't a a viable meat for most people. And so in 1945, a company called the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company started a competition. And and it was like the X factor for chickens. It's at this competition, it was in America. And the idea was they wanted to find the best meat bird available, the best meat chicken. Like a kind of X prize for for Yeah, or X prize. (laughs) Oh, God, you're good. Oh, sorry, that's awful. <laughs> you're allowed one, that's it. <laughs> one low-quality <laughs> joke per Oh, thank you. I, oh, um, And so farmers across America were invited to send in fertile eggs that would be raised in this special facility, all given the same amount of food, all given the same amount of conditions, and then, unfortunately, not like a kind of beauty pageant competition, all the contestants were slaughtered at the age of 
18 weeks or however, however old, and then they'd all be weighed. And the idea was they wanted two things. Firstly, the biggest, fattest bird was a real priority. But not just that, it had to be an animal that could get as big as possible, as quickly as possible, and with as little food as possible. And that's called feed efficiency, which is what basically all modern livestock farming is about, because you want a massive animal, but you don't want to have to spend loads of money making it big. So they had this big competition, loads of people entered, thousands of chicks were raised, lots of birds were killed, blah, 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 blah. The winning prize bird was a cross between a really old type of bird called a Cornish cross, which was a kind of meaty, big-breasted fighting bird. And they crossed that with uh, another kind of bird, which was really docile and ate a lot and was really greedy. And they came up with this thing called a Cornish cross. And that was the kind of basis for pretty much every bird. All the birds now that were going into are, are basically eaten are that one breed. Or, That's or really kind of... interesting. And so from that, we get a, a, a Kentucky Zinger burger in space. Jeepers creepers. I must have mentioned at the beginning how it says so much about the human mind. And, and that really does, doesn't it? It's that conflict between, okay, well, we as humans have moral issues with the way that we treat animals. And we like to think we are kind to animals but yet at the same time we crossbreed things because of the way that markets work and finance works and being as it's just it's a real it's a tough one it isn't i don't know about you but i eat meat and yep. and so and i eat chickens yeah i do and, and i keep chickens and i eat chickens and i eat eggs and all that kind of stuff and so for me there's a bit of a kind of cognitive dissonance between eating an animal that i care about and that who's welfare and also not wanting to spend a fortune on it and all those kind of stuff but I totally do that. You know, I like to think, oh, yes, I'm only going to eat organic chickens and I'm only going to eat organic eggs. And then, of course, I go into the co-op and they've got two chickens for a fiver. And then suddenly my cognitive dissonance kicks in and, oh, everything, I'm going to go, I'm going to vote for the two chickens for a fiver. And then I hate myself afterwards. Hey, listen, we could talk all day about chickens. Let's just sum up. Chickens are basically a miracle animal. Eggs, custard, cakes, omelettes. Cuddles. Everything. (laughs) Meat. Zinger burgers, yeah. language. We didn't even get onto feathers. We haven't even got onto feathers. Flight. Death, flight. Yeah. Basically, they are a miracle. They are amazing. And we need to think about them differently, don't we? So Truly. When I go into the co-op and see two chickens for five, I need to somehow not switch on my cognitive dissonance. Just think, hey, I'll leave on this fact that, that basically most chickens have more space in the oven after they're dead than they do when they're being raised in real life so do one thing just buy free range chickens please is that true is that even organic no surely not organic chicken. no no because organic have high level of welfare but they're just your general bog standard and and british welfare is high compared to the rest of the world so okay well just listen, buy free range. that's a good place to pause so the invention of the chicken as we know it kind of post second world war but it goes all the way back to the age of the dinosaurs uh foul play is sally's book it's great and if you're nice she might even sign it for you thank you come back on and talk about other things it's been an absolute pleasure sally oh you're super welcome thanks ever so much Dallas. i really appreciate it that's it thanks very much for listening hope that's whetted your appetite uh for chicken or whetted your appetite for more stories about invention either way is good for us don't forget leave us a rating <laughs> chicken rating uh, recipe rating and a review it helps others helps others discover the show and we love hearing from you of course if you've got an origin story an invention story you'd like us to tell or something you've been wondering about something you've always been questioning where did that come from 
get in touch and we will find out and we will credit you and we will make a program about it if it's good so thank you very much for listening thanks very much your company i will see you next time are you ready to enhance your future in tech then it's time to make your move to the uk the nation that has more tech unicorns than france germany and sweden combined the nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.